friends, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. It is great to have you here. Uh, it's great to study the Torah together with you, especially the daily Torah reading. So today we're going to start with yesterday's Torah reading, finish it up, and then jump into today's. But it's all part of the same continuum, which is the dialogue at the burning bush. So as we all know, um, Moses, as we read, we said it the last few days, Moses is born in Egypt He's hidden near or on the river, collected by Bacha, daughter of Pharaoh, grows up more or less in the palace. One day he decides, as he gets older, he decides to check on his brethren. He knows he's Jewish. He sees a Jew being beat up. He intervenes. He kills the Egyptian. He then intervenes when two Jews are fighting. He then inter- and, and at that point, he realizes that the word has gotten out that he has the Egyptian Pharaoh at this point says, ah, the Jew is coming out, right? The Israelites coming out in him. So we got to get, we got to get rid of him. And he's a wanted man. So Moses flees to another country. He escapes to a country called Midian. He meets a bunch of young ladies over there who are shepherdesses. He helps them out. He gets invited home. The dad says, hey, bring him home. Very different than the modern dad, which would say, I don't trust this guy. But whatever. Back then, he says, hey, I like the sound of this guy. I bring him home. He eventually marries Moses. Moshe marries Tzipporah, the oldest daughter. And we read about the, um, the son that was born, Gershom. They had a child. Anyway, Moses is a shepherd. I guess he took over from, uh, from his wife and his sisters-in-law. He's now the shepherd. And the Midrash says... Um, I mentioned it last night in our Torah says class, the Midrash says that Moses is out shepherding one day when a little goat runs away. And Moses chases the little goat. And he sees the little goat running, running, running. And finally the goat ends up by a stream, by a little body of water, and the, the goat is drinking. And he says, ah, little goat. I'm paraphrasing. Little goat, I didn't realize you were thirsty. So maybe at some point he was like, oh, he was annoyed at this goat that's running away. He's trying to get the goat. He realizes thirsty. He now feels bad that he didn't adequately provide water, I guess, for the flock. So he feels such compassion. He actually picks up the goat. When the goat's finished drinking, he picks up the goat and carries the little, uh, the little goat back to the rest of the flock. It's at that point on the way back, carrying the goat, according to our tradition, that he sees the spectacle of the burning bush. And as I mentioned already a few days ago, he sees the, the bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed. He sees the fire, but it's not being consumed, which is a, a wild spectacle. And he decides not to ignore it, like, ah, oh, that's weird, but I, I'm busy. I'm a busy guy. No, he stops and pays attention. He's noticing. He's noticing the details in life around him. And at that point, God saw that he had seen, that he had noticed, and God speaks to him, and God, God introduces the idea of Moses being the one to, be the, to lead the, the redemption of the Jewish people on the ground, and to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, etc. So this is where we're picking up the dialogue. Let's jump back in to the reading. Um, God tells him, take your shoes off. This is Holy Land. This was near Mount Sinai. God says, God introduces himself. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, God says, I've surely seen the affliction. I've heard their cries. I've, I've seen, I've heard. And, um, and now, come, he says, I will send you to Pharaoh and take my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is where I, I believe this is where we ended off. Verse 11. 
Let's begin. But Moses said to God, so until now, God has done the talking. Now Moses says to God, Who am I? We know one thing about Moses is he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So he says, Who am I? They tell a funny story. Speaking of humility. Story about one of the original chassidim. And you probably know this, the Hasidic movement was founded by the Baal Shem Tov, and it was continued by the Magid, and the Alter Rebbe, and others, there were other Hasidic masters. But in the infancy of the Hasidic movement, it was looked at a little bit, you know, strange by others, by, by, by many. Like, what's this movement, what's it about? So there's a lot of interesting origin stories about great Hasidim and how they became Hasidim. So one great Hasid said his own story. He was, this guy was a Talmud Chacham. This guy was, a, was a, um, a genius in Torah study. He studied Talmud. He knew it by heart. He spent all his days in synagogue. He used to sleep on the bench. He used to eat whatever, you know, bare, bare minimum of food. He was just completely dedicated to the, to, the, to the craft of Torah study. To the point of self-deprivation. And he was so humble. This is what he said about himself later. He said, he, he used to think about himself that there's no way anyone could be as humble as he was. There's no, it's not possible. So how does the Torah say that Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth? It must be that the Torah didn't know about him. Or the Torah was only speaking of in that time, it was Moses who was the most humble. But if the Torah would have known about him, and I forgot his name already, would, but if the Torah would have only known about him, so and so, it would have said, so-and-so is definitely the most humble man in the face of the earth. That's what he said. Until he learned a little chassidus, and he got a reality check, and, and, and he realized that that was the height of arrogance to think that he's the most humble person. Anyway, that's just a, it's, it's a funny story. I, I always think of it as a, as a bit of a humorous story, but it's not so humorous. I mean, it's a, it's a real story, and it's somebody's real experience, and they were contrasting, you know, life before you know, B.C. and A.C., before Chassidus and after Chassidus. Before Chassidus, just arrogant Torah study. After Chassidus, you know who you are. Anyway, yeah, Donna. Do you know what the methodology is going to be for the thinking like a... I don't know. I don't know, actually. I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I know more or less what it's about, but I don't know. I'm going to find out more, and I'll let you know. But if you want to know how to think like a Hasidic master, perfect segue, boom, there we go. But back to Moses. So the Torah tells us this incredible story. Moses is a shepherd. He's an anonymous guy. Now, you have to understand something. Moses is born to a very prominent Jewish family. He's raised in the palace. So on the, uh, you know, in his youth, you would think that this guy has it made. He's like, if anyone could have... It could choose his life, they would. But then he's wanted by the law. He's want, his head is, you know, he's on the wanted posters around Egypt. So he runs to Midian. And now he's an anonymous shepherd. Just the guy running after stray goats. I mean, literally, that's, his, that's what he's doing on this day. The next thing you know, God's like, I have a great mission for you, and you're going to be the guy. And anyone, you would think, most people, you know, Nine out of ten, or even ten out of ten random people would say, yes, I'm ready for this. This is great. What, an, what a fantastic opportunity. But not Moses. Not Moses. Look what he says. 
Mi anoichi, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should take the children of Israel out of, out of Egypt? Who am I? So God responds. God said, no, don't, don't who am I? Don't, don't do that. For I will be with you. What do you mean? You think it's all about you? It's not about you. No need to be too humble over here. I'm going to be with you. And listen to this. And this is the sign for you that it was I who sent you. This is what we call today in, uh, in, in apps and technology, two-factor authorization. You ever go to a website and then you're trying to purchase something and they send you a text message on your phone. You're like, oh, I got to type in this code or some, some convoluted situation like that. All right. This is what's going on. God says, look, I will be with you. And in case you're wondering, how do I know? Well, then how do I know who you are? So he's, God says, let me, let me confirm my identity by saying, by giving you a sign that it's I who sent you. That knows that I am legit. So again, if you think that you can do it alone and you're like, yeah, sure, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, I'll lead the exodus. Well, then maybe God doesn't have to prove who he is. But if Moses says, I can't, who am I? So God says, I'll be with you. Well, then the question is, well, how do I know you're really God? So God gives a sign. And what's the sign? The sign is a key phrase. Not the blue moose walks backwards, but rather a different phrase that was a traditional phrase of what God had promised and J Jacob had promised and Joseph had promised. This was like the Jewish promise that was known to be a divine province, promise. And that is, when you take the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Aha. By the way, this mountain means literally this mountain. Do you remember where this conversation took place? Remember it was Sinai? Mount Horeb, it was Sinai. So literally, God says to Moses, when you get them out, you're going to come back right here. This is going to be the mountain. This is going to be the mountain that the law, that the revelation is going to be given, Ten Commandments, all that stuff. All right, so now God has proved his authenticity. And again, let's, let's um, see if we have Rashi on this. Let's take a quick gander at this. Um, all right, too long. Let's keep on going. Um, let's get back inside. So God gives a sign. Moses continues, and Moses said to God, Moses is still not ready to accept the mission. Behold, I come to the children of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Right, so let's play this out, says Moses to God. I'm going to come to the Jewish people and tell them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and then they'll say to me, what is his name? And then I'll be at a loss. So what should I say to them? He's saying, I don't like this whole idea because they're going to ask questions and I'm not going to have the answers. I, this is, forget about it. I don't, I don't want to do this. I, they're going to ask me the most basic question. What's his name? And I, what am I going to answer? God says to Moses, you want a name? Eh, yeah, sure, eh, yeah. I will be what I will be. That's my name. And he said, so shall you say to the children of Israel, eh, yeah, I will be, has sent me to you. There goes that excuse. Moses is like, I don't know your name. God says, I'll give you a name. By the way, a few questions, which I'm sure we covered last year. Number one, what kind of name of God is this? Never heard that one before. Imagine, imagine if, if Moses actually repeats that name to the people. They'll be like, well, now we know you're a fraud because we've never heard this name before. We've heard Hashem, Elohim. We've heard these other names. This name, total fake news. Total 
total fabrication. Moses, very, it's nice to see you. Welcome back from Midjan. Hope you had a nice 40-year stint there. But really, like, I don't even know what you're talking about. What, what is this? I will be what I will be business. So the understanding of this, according to Chassidus, is completely different. It's not that, and, and according to the commentators as well, it's not that God was giving him his name. He knew the name, Hashem, Elohim, whatever the name was, right? The four-letter name of God. It was, the name of God was known, right? And um, one second, one second, one second. Yeah, he even says, Elohim, you will worship God on the mountain. This is in the prior dialogue, the last piece, right? When he said, um, who am I that I, should, that I should take them out? God says, I'll be with you. And then this is the sign that you take, you, when you get out, when you take the people out, you will serve God on this mountain. You will serve God. So he knows the name of God already. So why is he asking that, why is he saying that people are going to ask, what's your name and what am I going to tell them? So the deeper understanding is, they're not going to... You could have questioned the question itself. Like, why would the people be wondering the name? None of this makes sense. What it means is that when Moses is saying, I'm going to come to the people and say, God says, God, God has come to redeem you. What, what are the people going to react? What's their reaction? Where have you been all, the, like, where have you been all this time? God? God? Suddenly God is, is interested in us? Very nice, but, but where have you been until now? So there's almost going to be an anger, an anger, an affront it's almost um, disrespectful. It's like, now you show up? After our children have been murdered, after we've been backbreaking labor for, 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 for decades, generations, now you show up? Now you suddenly swoop in to rescue? Where have you been? So when Moses says, I will come to the people and I'll say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they'll say to me, what is his name? It doesn't mean they're going to ask me for an ID, for a passport. Right? They're going to ask me, what's his name? What kind of God abandons his people? So what shall I say to them? This is not just what are the people, that, that the people are going to say. This, this is Moses himself almost challenging God. Where have you been? God says to Moses, I will be what I will be, which according to the commentaries, according to a deeper understanding of the commentaries, is not I will be what I will be, but I I, I well, yeah, it is kind of. I will be with the people as I've been with the people. In other words, what God is responding, understood by the, by the commentaries, is that God is telling Moses that I've been with them this whole time. In the suffering, in the pain, in the slavery, in the exile, God says, I've been with them. Now, if you've been with us, so then how come it feels so bad? I don't know if that I have a good answer for that. But God is basically saying, I am with you in your pain. I am with you in your suffering. And yes, that is a matter of faith. To believe that God is with us. But here we have God saying exactly this. If the people, Moses says, the people are going to say where you've been. Tell them, I've been with them and I will be with them. All this time, as to why if does if is it, why it's been so painful if if I've been with them, that's ultimately a question that we cannot answer. That and and that is the truth. Ultimately, we cannot we don't know the, we can't see the master plan. But if you think for a moment that I've abandoned you, 
You should know that that's not correct. So there's been pain, but I've been with you in that pain. And if it hurt you, it hurt me as well. I think in our lives, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm treading now in very dangerous territory, and I know this, because I'm now treading on territory of explaining difficulty, and that is not something that we should necessarily do. In fact, God doesn't answer the question of why suffering. He just says, know that I am with you in the suffering. He doesn't answer the why, but he just says, know that I am with you in the suffering. As to the question of how could suffering ever be, you know, ever be okay. So the Rebbe once gave an example. This is a general example. It's not to explain any specific suffering. The Rebbe gave an example. Imagine you take someone, you pluck someone out of a primitive society or out of an ancient society and put them in a, in a time machine and put them into 2021. Put them into, into today, December 23rd, 2021. And transport them into a hospital, into an operating room. And they're going to see a person on the table. They're going to see what seems to be an innocent person. They'll see, they'll see um, uh, a bunch of people wearing masks and gloves standing around the bed that the person's on. They'll see them rendering the person unconscious. They'll see them, um, the doctors begin to pull out knives and cut into the body and make the person bleed and pull out stuff, put in stuff, and they're going to scream, they're going to probably scream and say, how barbaric are you guys? Stop the barbarism, whatever, barbarianism. Stop being so barbaric. <laughs> That's the easy way to say it. And you'll have to explain to them that although it looks violent and it looks barbaric, the doctors are actually saving this person's life. Which is just an example that we can all understand that reminds us that not all that we see or perceive as bad, not all that we perceive as suffering, not all that we perceive as painful is indeed bad. Now, oh, 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 one second. This is where I walk into the, into the landmine, right? And I, and I told you going in, I'm walking into a landmine. So now you're saying one could challenge me. Now you're saying that the suffering is a blessing and it's a good thing. I'm, I'm just saying one thing and one thing only. And that is that we human beings have a very limited perspective. We don't know the master plan and we're not God. And to start explaining God is, a, is an exercise in futility. It ain't going to happen. It's never going to work. So we have two choices. We could either feel A, I mean more than two choices, but I'll just limit it to two. Make it easy. Choice number one. Behind door number one is the perspective, God hates me, God abandons me, and God's not with me, and that's why I'm suffering. Or God is with me, God is holding my hand, God is crying with me as to why this is happening. I don't know. But I hope and I trust and I believe that somehow I'll emerge from this stronger than before. This, these are two options, general options. And I'll ask you a question. It's a rhetorical question, obviously, which is a healthier, healthier. For the person themselves, not judging someone else's reaction. We can never judge someone else's reaction. If someone's bitter and broken, that's completely valid reaction. But ourselves, if you, if, if I... Asking myself, if I could choose one of these two polarized options, not a gray in between, but either feel abandoned and victimized and broke, or 
feel that God is with me and I trust that God is with me. It doesn't, still hurts, but I trust also that there's at some point I can, I can grow from this and grow through this, which is healthier for me. I will say without a, without a question, option B, option two, that, that path is healthier for me. Moses tells God, I'm going to come to the people and tell them, God decided to redeem you. And they're going to say, where's he been? What kind of God allows his people to suffer? And God says, I want you to tell them, I've been with them this whole time. Does that explain suffering? It doesn't explain anything. Can it provide a measure of comfort for one who believes that, for one who trusts in that? The answer is yes. And that's the message. It's a powerful message. It's a powerful conversation, powerful piece of the dialogue. And it opens, us, it opens up a very, very profound understanding of how just life works, at least on some level. Okay. Um, yeah, Joy. Sometimes I think that uh, another analogy, of course, is not exactly the same. It's not murdering babies. But if you're a child, and you can relate to that, breaks his leg. Mm. It is very painful, and it is very hurt. And you're supposed to take care of him. Right. And you're going to say, I'm, you're with him. You're right. holding his hand, but you can't take the pain away. And right. he has to... Right, right. Yeah. God says, I am with you in your suffering. I am with you in your suffering, in your pain. It's powerful stuff. Ray, good to see you. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You are muted. One second. One second, one second. There you go. Am I unmuted? Yeah, you're good. We can hear you now. Um, so I just got an email from Israel that they're on the way to the hospital. AJ, I mean, oh, is going to have a baby. Wow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is fantastic. It should be Bisha'atova. It should be in a good and auspicious hour with mazel and with blessing and with good health. Amazing. Thank you. All right. AJ said, please follow Keep Keep us posted. We'll, uh, we'll dedicate the Torah study to the, to the merit of a happy, healthy baby and everything should be should be amazing Thank you. I, and and you should continue to have nachas keep on <laughs> keep on shepping keep on schlepping nachos i mean shepping nachas okay let's continue back inside we're in the middle of this dialogue god and moses which lasts by the way a week a full week back and forthing man what happened with the rest of the animals i don't know but um, it says that it took about a week for this conversation to transpire. And God said further to Moses, verse number 15. So shall you say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, and that is Hashem Elokei Hashem and Elokim, the Lord God of your forefathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is how I should be mentioned in every generation. Use these names, Hashem Elohim. No, reverting, referring back to what we said the previous verse, know that I, in every generation I am with you, even in the difficult moments, or maybe especially in the difficult moments, etc. The, the message continues in today's reading, reading number five. God says, so go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord God of your forefathers has appeared to me, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I have surely remembered you and what is being done to you in Egypt, God. Moses, you tell the elders, which are the representatives of the people, tell them that God is... God is paying attention. God has always paid attention, but God is, is now remembering the promises, remembering, and, and, and things are going to start moving in a good direction, in a, in a revealed good direction. And I said, God continues, you, you continue to quote me. He says, Moses, tell this to the elders that I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt. I will bring you up to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Chivites, and the Jebusites. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of the seven nations. Oh, Gergashi. The Gergashites are not mentioned. Huh. I don't know why. There are seven nations, indigenous nations in Canaan. The, the, the Gergashi are not mentioned here. Why? I don't know. Maybe the commentators discuss it. But here we have six out of seven. Tell the people, says God to Moses, tell them that I told you and that I'm telling them they, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt and take them to the land, the promised land, the Canaanite, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezites, Hebites, Jebusites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, milk and honey. This may be the first mention of milk and honey, land of milk and honey in the Torah. This very well may be the first mention. I don't believe, and someone fact-checked me on this, I don't believe we've had that expression before, about, about Israel, unless it was promised. No, hold on. Oh, I take that back. Did God mention that in his promises to Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob? It's possible that he called it a land of milk and honey. It's possible. We would have to look that up. Let's continue. God says to Moses further, and they will hearken to your voice. Don't worry. They're going to listen to you. And you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt. So first step is speak to the Jews, the Israelites, your brethren. Then you're going to go to Pharaoh. So first, you get buy-in, you get internal buy-in. You got to rally the base. You got to get the Jews behind you. And then you'll take the, uh, you, you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt. And you shall say to him, what's the message? So that was the message to the elders, to the Jewish people. What's the message to the king, to Pharaoh? Quote, the Lord God of the Hebrews has happened upon us. Happened upon us means he called us to action. And now let us go for a three days journey in the desert. Okay. And offer up sacrifices to the Lord our God. Let us go for a three days journey. And I want to just jump in immediately. And point out that that message is a bit ambiguous and vague. Are they only asking? Are they only going to be asking for a three day um, furlough? Or are they saying that we're out of here? And if you're looking for us, we'll be about three days away from you. Are they saying, are they asking for a vacation? Or are they just FYIing that, you know, we're out of here and we'll be three days from here if you need us. Okay. A little bit open, a little bit ambiguous by design, by the way, by design, which there are deeper, deeper messages, which I'm not going to share right now, but we'll share it in a future session. So this is the message to deliver to Pharaoh. Basically, let my people go to serve me in the desert, says God. However, God says to Moses, between you and me, I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go. He's not going to say yes. I mean, you're going to go to the people, the elders, and you're going to get by in there. Then you're going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go because they have three days are going to serve God. He's not going to say yes. The only way it's going to happen is except through a mighty hand. The only way 
he's ever going to let you go is uh, with, the, with the mighty hand. The mighty hand is a euphemism for a little brute force, right? A little, uh, a little clep. You're going to have to hit them to let you go. And, I will str- and what does that look like? What's the mighty hand? And I will stretch forth my hand and smite the Egyptians with all my miracles that I will wreak in their midst. All my miracles, that's, uh, that's a lot of miracles, right? The full, the full suite of miracles. God says, I will wreak in their midst. And afterwards, after that, after, after all of the miracles, he will send you out. Of course, this is referring to, as you know, the 10 plagues. So God says to Moses, I want you to go to the elders of the people, give them the news, and then go to Pharaoh and say, let us out. He's going to say no, and and then I'm going to hit them hard. And afterwards, he'll finally say yes and let you go. By the way, the whole story of the Exodus, right here, in these few verses. It's already predicted, right here. 18, 19, and 20. You're going to go to Pharaoh, let my people go. He's going to say no. He's going to get hit, and he'll finally say yes. That's it. That's the story. That's the story arc. Talk about foreshadowing. All right. um, Let's continue the narrative. And I will put this people's favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. In other words, when you leave, you're going to leave on good terms amongst the populace, or people are going to be favoring you. And that means with stuff, as we'll see. And it will come to pass that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. You will not leave penniless slaves. You're not going to be freed with nothing except the shirt on your back or maybe the matzah on your back. When you guys leave, you're going to have a lot of wealth, a lot of stuff. Each woman shall borrow from her neighbor and from the dweller in her house silver and gold objects and garments. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters and you shall empty out Egypt. And that means of its wealth. When you leave, God promises Y'all are going to be wealthy beyond measure. You're going to take out the stuff and wealthy beyond measure. All right, this is all the, the, the promise that God gives to Moses, telling him what the mission entails, what it's going to look like, and how it's going to play out. I want, to, I want to point out a few things before we continue inside. Number one, number one, the idea of leaving with great wealth was already promised to Abraham. God had told Abraham in the vision by the covenant of the parts, He told them that your children, in 400 years, your children are going to be enslaved to a foreign entity, to a foreign nation. But when they leave, they'll leave with great wealth. So this was already a 400-year-old prediction, uh, promise from God to Abraham. God reiterates it to Moses, and you can imagine that Moses might have mentioned this to the people, saying, God has come to deliver you. I'm going to go to Pharaoh. It's going to be a little bumpy along the way, but... Good news is, when you go out, you're going to have what to take out with you. I also mentioned, in a different context, in a different class a few weeks ago, the Talmud records that the Egyptians once took the Jewish people to the international court. Maybe the Hague, maybe not. This is going back 2,000 years. So, uh, which international court? I don't know. And they basically accused, the charge was theft. The Jewish people emptied out our wealth. And we want it back. And the Jewish response, and you imagine there were a few Jewish lawyers on the case, the Jewish response was, okay, we're happy to, 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 to give you back what we took, 
but were countersuing for 210 years of, of slave labor of a people that, that, that's about two or three million people. So just do the math. And at that point, they realized that the reparations for the slavery would be more than whatever was taken out. And so they said, all right, we'll let, we'll let it go. We'll just call it a wash. Yes, Ray. Um, isn't it so that during the plague of darkness, um, Hashem told the children of Israel to go into the home and see where the silver and gold and yes. everything was? Yes, yes. When the Egyptians couldn't see and couldn't even move, right. the Jews went in and cataloged their neighbors' homes and what, the, what they had. And then before they left, they said, hey, we're supposed to borrow, borrow stuff from you guys. Do you have anything? Like, oh, we have nothing. Like, well, you might want to open up that drawer because I may or may, have not, not, I may or may not have noticed uh, some candlesticks or, you know, whatever it is. So, and exactly. So that went down. That was assisted by the plague of darkness. Yeah. All right, good. Let's get back inside. Because the dialogue, oh, it's not over yet. This is, and God is giving a good case. At this point, it almost feels like God is sure, Hashem is sure, that the deal is sealed. Because Moses, first Moses says, just understand, there's two pushbacks so far. The number one, the first pushback was, who am I? Like, I'm, I'm going to take the Jews out of it. God says, don't, it's not about you. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry, you're good. Moses' second pushback was, yeah, but the people are not going to, the people are going to be disgruntled. Like, where have you been all this time? You know, God, we're not happy with God because God has put us in this situation for a long time. And so God says, tell them I'm with you. And as far as how this is going to play out, you're going to go to the, the elders and tell them and they go to Pharaoh. He's going to say no, plagues, and then you'll leave with great wealth. So at this point, it almost seems like a given that Moses is going to say, all right, let's do it. But Moses is not done pushing back yet. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered and said to God the following, behold, they will not believe me. You tell me I should go first to the elders and tell them that this is happening and that they're going to be on board? It's not going to happen. They're not going to believe me. And they will not heed my voice. But they will say, nah, you're, 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 you're making up a story. The Lord has not appeared to you. That's what Moses says to God. When I go to the people, they're going to say, Baba Mice is not true. Fake news. The Lord has not appeared to you. The people will not believe. In short, Moses says, the people will not believe. Uh-oh. I mentioned this in a previous class. Uh-oh. Moses is now questioning the belief of the people. It's one thing that he mentioned before that people are going to be upset about the suffering. But to say that they're not going to believe in Hashem, in the Exodus? Oof. On what grounds are you saying this, Moses? This seems like Lashon Hara. This seems like just calling someone out negatively for no reason. You're saying the people are not going to believe? Oh. The Lord said to him, what is this in your hand? And he said, a staff. He was holding his walking stick. And he said, God said to him, cast it to the ground. And he cast it to the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before. He ran away from that. He's like, he dashed for a little bit because of uh, the serpent. Why a serpent? Because the serpent also lied and spoke, not also, the serpent spoke negatively about God, about, about the, the, the forbidden fruit, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. The serpent also talked and gossiped and misrepresented the truth. So that's sign number one. Moses, don't speak badly about this people. Don't call them out groundlessly. 
And the Lord said to Moses further, stretch forth your hand and take hold. Oh, sorry, let's continue with this piece of the, of the thing, of the snake. Stretch forth your hand and take hold of its tail, the snake. Moses stretched forth his hand and grasped it and became a staff in his hand. I think of those magicians. You know, they have the magicians, they have like the wand and then they throw it down and it turns into like a rope and then they pick it up and it becomes a, a, a wand again. Have you ever seen that one? I think I've seen that. Maybe I'm mixing up different magic tricks, but whatever. I'm not saying this was a magic trick, this was a miracle, but nonetheless, we have a staff that turns into a serpent that comes back into a staff. And, and, and why is this so? Why, why this sign? In order that they believe that the Lord, their God, the God of their forefathers, has appeared to you, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So this served as a dual purpose. Number one, to remind Moses not to speak ill of the people. Number two, if they really do require a sign, a miracle, then you can pull off this miracle. Try it again. You threw down your staff, turns into a snake, pick it up, turns back into a staff. And the Lord said further to him, and this is what I referenced, what I referenced a few I days ago. Your second. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Rashi has, there's interesting Rashi on why it became a snake. Yes. It says that God hinted to Moses that he had spoken derogatorily about Israel right. when he said they will not believe me, and he therefore adopted the craft of the snake and the note I have on that from Nachlas Yaakov, whoever that is. Yeah, commentary on Rashi. Yeah, Nachlas Yaakov. It's the snake in the Garden of Eden, which spoke ill of God. Right. So that's why it's a snake. Interesting. Yeah. Right. The snake said, God doesn't want you to eat from the tree because then you're going to be smart like him. And God wants to, you know, God wants to keep all the, all the wisdom for himself, all the knowledge. And he doesn't want you to become smart. So, aha, so you should eat it. So he made up stories, he lied, he spoke disparagingly of God, misrepresenting God as having um, uh, um, negative intentions, etc. So snake was not cool. But Moses now is saying, the people are not going to believe me, that's also misrepresenting the people. And that's not cool. So that's the sign of the snake. And then there's a second sign, which is right here, verse 7. And God said to him, to Moses, now put your hand back into your bosom, put it like, you know, in, under your shirt, whatever it is. And he put his hand back into his bosom, and when he took it out, of his bosom, it had become again. Wait, hold. Oh my gosh, one second. I'm so sorry. I skipped a verse. Verse number six. Let me, let me try that again. The Lord said further to him. Now put your hand. All right. I feel like I, I don't know. My, my, my eyes went to the next line. Now put your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand to his bosom. And he took it out. And behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And that's an obvious sign. You spoke ill of the people, number one. That's the, that's the craft of the snake. You don't want to be a snake. Number two, you speak ill of others, you get saras. You get this leprosy. It's not actual leprosy, but you get this skin affliction. So he put his hand into his, into his chest area, pulls it out, and his hand is leprous like snow. And then God said, put your hand back into your bosom. And he put his hand back into his bosom. And when he took it out of his bosom, it had become again like the rest of his flesh. So he puts it in, takes it out. It's white, puts it back in. And then it's normal. Again, it was a sign to Moses, a wake-up call. You got to trust your people. You got to believe in your people and don't disparage your people. Let's continue. And it will come to pass, says God, that if they do not believe you, if they do not believe you, and they do not heed the voice of the first sign, they will believe the voice of the last sign. So you can throw the stick. And it turns into a snake, or you can put your hand in your cloak and pull it out, and it'll be white and then normal again. You can pull off these signs as miracles, but it's also a sign for you to not speak disparagingly against the people. And it will come to pass that if they do not believe either of these two signs, 
and they do not heed your voice, you shall take of the water of the Nile and spill it upon the dry land, and the water that you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry land. God predicts the first of the ten plagues. By the way, I just to clarify something, I just realized, and it will come to pass that if they do not believe you, who's the they? Is it the people or the Egyptians? It's very possible that this means the Egyptians. Huh? Well, that's, that's one way of understanding it. But again, there's a pronoun that's used here in the Hebrew. If they do not believe you, who's the they? Simply, it's the people who Moses was saying, you know, complaining that people wouldn't believe him. But maybe it's, maybe it's the Egyptians. Maybe it's the Egyptians that don't. Yeah. Let's, let's look at Rashi. Because Rashi says, if this doesn't work, then you'll bring the plague. The plague wasn't against the Jews to make them believe. The plague was for the Egyptians. So let's see that. Let's see that inside. Um... Let's see Rashi here. When you tell them, because of you, I was stricken, because of, I spoke ill of you, they will believe you. For they've already learned that those who trespass against them are stricken with plagues, which is fair on Abimelech. Okay, so when you tell the people that you were afflicted because you spoke ill of them, the people will understand that. They'll say that makes sense. Um, but if they do not believe either of these signs, he hinted to them that with the first plague, he exacts retribution upon their deities. Okay, I don't see that specific um, insight in Rashi, but... I do believe that there are commentators that say that this, that this the dialogue continues with the pronouns to flip from the Jews to the Egyptians and say this will prove to the Egyptians um, the first plague will be a demonstration to them. Although one could say that the first plague also was a confirmation for the Jews as well, that indeed this was legit and, and indeed this is, um, this is from God. Yeah. Okay. Um, let's continue. Let's continue. Give me a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, one sec. Okay. Um, and I just, I'm looking at the time. I actually have a meeting at 1 o'clock, and now it's 101. So I'm going to do a quick beeline to the end. And actually, you know what? Maybe let's... Um, Maybe let's pause it right here and we'll pick it up tomorrow. Yeah, that's that sound that to, to me that sounds good. So we're I up. Have a quick question. Yeah, a quick for sure. Question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I think I might be remembering this wrong because I couldn't find it. I thought that when Joseph told Pharaoh about bringing his family that uh and they brought all of their households and everything that Pharaoh said that he could have them back when they went to Canaan or something like that. I might be remembering that. Wrong. That he could say it again. That he could what? That when they went back, like they're going to sojourn in Egypt for yes. a while, and that Pharaoh said they could have all their things to, when they left. What This is when they went up for the funeral of Jacob. He said, you guys can go up, but they left the cattle and the children behind. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was, that was I think that's what you're referring to. When they went up for the funeral, okay. they left the cattle and, they, and the children behind. So it wasn't the first time that the people had left. Now there's certainly more people, and, and you know, it's going to be, and, and as we know in the story, it's going to be problematic. Okay, so we're up to the next refusal of Moses. So Moses says three things so far. Who am I? I'll be with you. Moses says, um, where have you been? I've been with them the whole time. They're not going to believe me. Oh, you bet they're going to believe you. And if not, here are some signs. 
And then we get to the fourth pushback, which where Moses says, I'm not a speaker. I'm not, I'm not a good spokesperson. All right. So this, we'll deal with this tomorrow. Verse 10, we'll pick it up uh, tomorrow. Um, okay. It's great to see everyone. Again, sorry, I have to j- uh, jump off this uh, Zoom, but I have to jump into another session, another, another meeting. Um, all right. Schedule for tomorrow is same bad time, same bad channel. December 24th, we're doing Zoom at 12 p.m. noon. So join me for DPP. Ray, it should be Bashat Tova. Everything should be good. And let us know. Keep us, uh, keep us in the loop. Send a text or a call or whatever it is. And everyone, have, uh, have a wonderful day. Lots of blessings. Oh, if you want to order books in our book sale, we have everything online. Last day to order. If you haven't ordered yet and you want some Jewish books for your library, discounted, free shipping, etc., then you can go online and order the books. If you've already ordered books, the orders are, are in or going in, and it should arrive shortly. Okay. See you all. Have a wonderful day. Bye. Take care, everybody. Bye.